humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 128, and I had a Skype conversation with the lovely Rachel Caden. She's a documentary filmmaker, writer, actor, director, and she is an advocate for veterans' mental health. The project she's working on currently is a documentary entitled Man Down, and it focuses on PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury, and veterans and veteran suicide. It is alarming the rate at which veterans commit suicide when they get back from their missions. And for Rachel, the conversation gets very personal very quickly. And you will hear why, of course, as, as you listen. Um, when we recorded this, it was September, and I had just uh, started my braces. So you will notice I am lisping uh, a lot, and hopefully that won't be too distracting in the conversation. There's not much I can do about it at this point, except for <laughs> know that I realized pretty quickly that I can't wear those things while I'm talking because it makes it harder to understand what I'm saying. Uh, I know that now, but of course, when I first got them, I didn't. So just bear with me, and that is the deal there. I'm sure you understand. <clears throat> I got five more weeks, and then I'm done with those. So, all right, uh, usual stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcast. Email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. I'm going to have a lot of links, as always, for this episode on Hey Human Podcast website, and uh, I encourage you to check out those links, especially uh, Rachel has given me a lot of information to share with you all, so uh, definitely please check all that out. Keep an eye on those around you, and if somebody seems blue or, or despondent or showing some signs that they're not being their normal selves, definitely reach out. You know, we need each other. Let them know you're there, and that uh, they can talk to you and, you know, just uh, be a friend and show your heart. It sometimes just takes a single word, you know? So anyway, thanks for listening and here we go. Rachel Caden, thank you for being on Hey Human. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to see you across the miles. I know. <laughs> Where are you hailing from in England? Uh, from London. Okay. So I'm in the capital. I'm actually at um, Jody's house, my agent's house right yeah. now. Been Hi, Jody. For... Yes, I'll pass it on. I'll say hello. But we've been rehearsing for his play. He has what play? It's uh, called The Unspoken. Um, and it's uh, performing in Barons Court Theatre, which is a small, really famous little theatre. It's like an amazing space. Um, it's like a haunting tale of a, of a blind girl um, that, that stays at home and her father's quite abusive. So, yeah. He's a really yeah. great writer. Oh, yes. I read and the, the play. The, yeah, The Moors. That, did you oh, read that book? I'm so angry with the ending because, obviously, I, you know, it's... It's... I was. And the first thing was is that during reading it, I was like, oh, "I wonder if this is going to happen. Will this happen?" And Jodie would just look at me and smile. <laughs> I know it. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. Somebody needs to make that into a movie. Well, yes, you, you, that that has to happen. I think I completely agree. It would so. make a good play too, actually. Yeah, and because it's all set in one place, not yeah. mainly set in one place, you could co-produce it now because we came up with the, the idea. Mm. <laughs>
I am in yeah. anything to get me into London with a with a paycheck would be nice. <laughs> I would love that. Anything to get most people living in London a paycheck would be nice. You right? Know? <laughs> it looks really sunny there. Is it oh, nice yes, day? it's been so hot today. So I was actually worried because I'm so fair-skinned. I, 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 you know, I might actually have burned a little, but we'll hope for the best. I spent a month uh, in London in August in 2003, I think it was. And oh, yeah. I was shocked at how hot it was. Yes, yeah. Because that's because we've always talked about being rainy and grey and yeah. miserable. But actually, it's horrible when it's hot here because we have no idea what to do with it. <laughs> and it's really humid. It's super humid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah when I was yeah. a little girl, I lived in Cambridge. Oh, no way. Mm, I used very to have nice. an actual English accent and everything. I'm very mad. That really? I don't have that anymore. I'm very mad about it. <laughs> can you still do an English accent? I can, yeah. Want? And when I sing, um, people, or if I've had a few too many cocktails, people are like, why do you all of a sudden have an accent? I was like, oh, it's in there somewhere, buried oh, beneath the American. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. So the brain somewhere, when it gets just inebriated enough, there's a few, you know. But I could I could probably, like, if I were had to act in something, for example, it probably wouldn't take long to... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. All right, but enough about me. <laughs> we are talking because Jody connected us, and again, Jody Medlin, awesome guy, uh, great writer in his own right, and and uh, playwright now. I did not know that, so that's exciting. Yes. <clears throat> By the way, when can people see you in the play? Uh, when can people? Oh no! Oh no! I am assistant director. I'm so sorry. So... I you were acting because you act as well. <laughs> Yes, I do act as well, and I, I will be doing a play this year, but I'm not sure which one it will be. I have a very small, um, like, theatre group that I joined. Um, but, no, I, I'm helping him. I'm stepping in for a, f- a few days at the end where he can't be in London. Um, so I've been watching some very talented actors, much more talented than, than me, rehearse, and it is just, it's, it's just amazing watching people put hard work and talent together. It's magic. Yeah, there is something very special about watching actors uh, in a theatrical sense. Yeah. It's, it's almost otherworldly, I think. Yeah, it is because, you know, we're, we're sitting out on a rooftop. What, we've created the, the space and, you know, some of the things that come out in this play, they really disturb you. I mean, it, it takes you on a real journey. I'm like, wow, like, I'm feeling this. There's no other setting than these people just reading their lines and being a character, and it's so powerful. I think sometimes human beings forget how to feel, or they've mm. desensitized them so, themselves so much, or checked out so yeah. much, that it's exciting when, you know, movies or books or theaters uh, evoke that in us. Yeah. I think that's a way that a lot of people manage to be able to feel and they can share emotions through films and music and, and, and books and, you know, all types of, of um, creativity, really. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I read something the other day. It was quite funny about next time someone says, why don't you get a real job, like in the creative industry, ask them not to watch sports, not to watch movies, TV, read a book for a month um, or play music and, and then ask them if, if we're wasting our time. So, exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I love reading so much. I love music as well. I love reading. And when a book really gets you and you're sobbing or laughing, it's extraordinary to think that in someone else's mind, they created this group of people that you're now reading about that's evoking so such a powerful response. Yeah. It's awesome. 
Yeah, I know. It's, it's incredible. And I actually think that's where film, um, you know, has to really be, like, step up their game a bit. Because in a book, it's your imagination. Uh, with the film, you're feeding so much to the audience, but you have to allow them to still engage with their own creative mind as well. So yeah. it's, it's a bit... <laughs> It's a perfect segue, my dear. All right, so you are, in fact, a filmmaker. And I am. You went, okay, so I wrote, you studied film at London Metropolitan University. I did, yes. All right, and uh, so, and you've also created not just the film that we are about to talk about, the documentary we're about to talk about, but I looked mm. on your IMDb uh, as a film called Journey, uh, a film called Minds Matter, which is about mental health. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, and... um. You worked with uh, The Spiral of Containment. I did, yes. Which is extraordinary, okay. and she was on the podcast as well. <clears throat> yes, I, I had a listen of that one, so yeah, I, I, I had her on there. It was hard because the sound, we were all over, the, you know, I, don't, I can't remember if she was in Brazil or she was somewhere, uh, maybe she was in Australia or something, and I at the time was in New York, so the sound quality was trying to ping all over the universe, you know. But anyway. Well, it sounded good. It sounded like you were connecting from someone across the world. Yeah, you know, exactly. Literally. Yeah, exactly. so it's good. So I want to start maybe, let's start, you are about to decide what to do with your life to go to university, and had you always wanted to do the filmmaking? So I actually hadn't considered filmmaking. I'd always preferred acting, and I studied that at college, um, and then I was trying to push my career as an actor, but something was always... Well, I was holding me back, but it always felt a bit kind of a struggle. Um, and then I went round, you know, the rhubarb, as, as, as my dad says, and just did a whole load of different things. I, I tried writing a book. I, I was a nanny. I was a personal trainer. And I thought, let me try acting again. I'll just go and do a student film. Just nothing, no pressure. And I watched these guys working together, a great group of guys. And I thought, you know, there's one thing missing, and it's just that extra thing with the actors. Like, I just wanted to feel just something more with the actors. And I thought, you know what? That's because you know how to do this. And it's not them doing something wrong. It's you finding a way in to do something that you could love. And I'd written plays and, and uh, uh, short films and feature films and TV pilots, just, you know, I had them piling up. And I was working with a friend who knew how to, to make films. And he... Uh, unfortunately, he um, got very ill and he couldn't couldn't do it anymore. And I thought, I'm only stuck because I don't know how to technically make a film. That's absolutely non-excusable. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. So why don't you go and learn? And I thought, as a mature student, go to university, spend three years practicing my craft and get myself ready to leave. And that's what I've, I did, really. That's wonderful. Now, uh, there aren't a ton of female filmmakers, so it's always yeah. exciting. I imagine within the program itself, that excites the professors to see. I do find it interesting whenever you read an article about filmmaking, they, they make sure to mention the gender if it's a female, yes. like it's some extraordinary feat. <laughs> yes, and, and also, you know, your, your background, your ethnicity now helps. You know, it's like there's now a platform where actually diversity is, is being celebrated. So it's it's great. I, I have had... I do find it quite funny that when I've done like more of the corporate work and stuff like that, I, I turn up with my camera to film. 
Um, and I'm not a camera expert at all. I, I, I you know, I'm, I have a lot to learn. But you have people that work in an office telling me how to use a camera and film, um, and they're always, always men telling, telling you as, as a woman. But when we have the male crew, they're not being told at all how to use that camera. So you kind of, you kind of do get a lot of being told what to do. And I have a lot of arguments on set about small technical, um, technical things that, you know, that that really matter in post production. And I'm always told I'm wrong. And then I get to post-production and I sit down with an editor and they say, oh, you know, you crossed the line here or, oh, you should have done that. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know. I should have just stood up. Like, you know, you're arguing with like three or four guys and you kind of get back down. So you've got to learn to be really tough. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have female filmmakers that you really admire? Anyone come um, I recently watched a film uh, called Missy Already and that was directed by Catherine Hardwick. Um, now, I actually don't know loads of uh, the rest of her work, but I saw this film, and if you haven't seen it, watch it. It is the most emotional journey you could go on, and it is the most simplistic storyline about two friends. Um, but every single person could relate to it in some way, because it takes you through your childhood and how your childhood comes into adulthood and teaches about uh, love and loss and fighting and making up and mm -hmm. yeah that, that was really beautiful for me i really um, admire filmmakers because as i'm watching a movie and i'm and i'm under i try not to to deep to uh, put them into compartments as i'm watching but i can't yeah. help myself sometimes but to, to the light and which i know you know the director of lighting and the you know the all the different yeah. parts of it and to think that the filmmaker is seeing this whole thing Yes. At once. Yes. And that yes. every little nuance mat every little nuance matters. And if you get it wrong, it's so glaring. Oh yes. It's um I don't think people often realise what goes into making a film. So um, as a filmmaker, you're taught to look at everybody's films and criticise and find what's wrong or what could be better. Um, and actually I've always had a problem with that because Making a film is so hard. So even if you make a really bad film, that's a lot of people putting in a lot of work. Um, but it's all those little details that you're not meant to appreciate um, consciously as an audience. It's, it's everything subconscious. And I think when you're watching a film, hopefully the, the people making it have all put in their own little minuscule amounts of detail and care that there is always something to appreciate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, even if it was just what they were trying to do, right? Uh, I think it's I think it's something to appreciate, right? And some films, of course, go down in history as being so bad they're great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly, and, and they become part of your favorites and the cult, you know it's, the cult it's, following it's something. Yeah, yeah. I think I was listening to um, a podcast a while back with an editor who was uh, talking. I think it was about Quentin Tarantino saying that he would never ever uh, put a movie down. He'd always come out and be like, "Oh, it was great! It was great! It was great!" And if it wasn't him, then I apologize. But um, but yeah, that that attitude I think is what we need to have mm -hmm. in this industry. Let's find good, build more of that. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I keep hacking at you. I'm, <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> No, it's fine. As, as you said, it's human. You know, I know. Darn it! I wanted to be extra better human today. Um, <laughs> in your body, on your body of work, uh, it's yeah. very. Speaking of human, it is very much about the human experience, but on what might be considered a darker side of it. 
Um, yes. What draws you to that? Oh, that's a very good question. So, uh, well, you know, I I had quite um, an interesting life growing up. As um, I guess I was around a lot of different types of people that went through some, you know, really bad things and and some great things. I had, uh, you know, very uh, friends that had no money, friends that had some money, uh, that were bullied, that were beaten, that were, you know, awful things could happen to them. Um, I lost my mum when I was young. Um, so I guess, you know, from a young age, I was going out and doing things that a child shouldn't be doing, getting in trouble. And I just saw a different side of, of the world. So I guess in some way, through, uh, you know, my own trauma and other people's, I took something from each of those. And one thing that I've always been really amazed by is how much pain um, connects us all but that we all stay so individual with our pain. So I think in some ways my, my storytelling is a way of saying, um, especially with my, with my last film, you know, it, it, it centred around a father losing a, a son. Uh, now, I haven't lost a child, but I think everybody could appreciate that must be the worst kind of pain to feel mm. when it comes to death. So every person that's ever lost anyone would feel that isolation, that loneliness, that, that feeling that it's not fair that it's unjust and you know without knowing it if they talk about that film they're connecting in some way yeah I mean it's really beautifully said for sure we hate our pain but how much we grow from it is I, yes. I, I hate to say it but I think we grow from our pain far more than we grow from the happy moments it's a <laughs> <Yes>, real bar <laughs> I actually always say it through pain we grow and it's through the happy times that we enjoy and make memories you know mm -hmm. it's that the happy times are like a reward for all the lessons you've had to learn from pain I think. yeah kevin williams is the subject of the documentary man down which is is yeah. this the most recent project for you because you just mentioned another project is that the one you were referring to so um, the, the film I just referred to is the short film that I just made, I think that you saw on, on IMDb Journey. Journey, And then, okay. yeah, Man Down is now um, the one I'm, I'm in development of. Okay, so Man Down is uh, Kevin Williams' story. And had you yeah. known him before? Yes, yeah, so I've known, I, well, I had known Kev for about, uh, coming up to 10 years, I think it was. Um, and he was... Um, someone he basically the only way to describe him was a brother I met him and he was an annoying little pest that I just couldn't like shake off or ever get tired of and he found me exactly the same and we would just tell people well you know this is my brother this is my sister it, it just was so normal and um, I made a three-minute documentary on him uh, at the start of uh, my university I had to do a small documentary and we just planned from there let's make a feature length and, of course, sadly, you know, um, we, he took his life this year, and now I'm just going to do it in his honor. Yeah, I'm so sorry for that. It's awful. Um, Thank you. Did he go off to Afghanistan or Iraq? Or... So he went out to Iraq, yes. Yeah. He went to Basra. He was sent there the day after his 18th birthday. He was the youngest rifleman uh, to, to go out um, to Iraq. Um, and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was he he was trained to to shoot. He wasn't trained to be you know fixing vehicles and stuff. So he really was there with the with the action. Yeah, they're trained to kill basically. Yeah, not yeah. just shoot. Trained to kill. Um, yeah. And th through that service, he came home and uh, had PTSD. Yeah, so, I mean, 
so he, I, I actually think that when when soldiers are going out on on tour in in whatever capacity that they're going out, um, that they're, they're all going to come back and in some way be affected. Um, with PTSD because their training alone is teaching them new survival skills, it's teaching them new dangers that you are not used to in the civilian world. So, you know, he did come back and he, and he, I don't think it hit him for a couple of years. Um, I, well, he didn't know about it straight away. He just felt sad a lot of the time. That was what he said. Um, he lost a friend out there, uh, a very, very close friend out there and that he always blamed himself for um you know, he just didn't know how to fit back into the world at all. Uh, I, I remember, uh, and it's the example I always use, that, you know, if, if a balloon popped near him, it would completely freak him out. He would, top would be off, he would be screaming, shouting. He wouldn't be in reality in that moment. And then he'd have to come out of reality and everyone looking at him, judging him. Yeah, it was, it was extreme. And then there were times on his own, he just felt sad. Just, just like he didn't have a place in the world at all. It is very strange to me that in, in the military, they spend four to six months training you to be a hive mind. They remove your individuality. Um, they train you to kill, of course. It's part of the job. But when you've served in the military and your, your tour is over and you come home, there's not four to six months of, I don't know what you want to call it, deactivation, rehumanization, re integration they spend all this money well, you know it's 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 almost as if they dare i say don't care what happens once these people have served their time and i say their time as if it yeah. were prison because i've interviewed prison folks who have served the military as well and are now in prison and they feel more comfortable in a prison environment because it mirrors so much the military environment yes that says a yes. lot Yes. I mean, it, it's, well, first of all, one thing that's really hard here in the UK that I don't, uh, I think different um, in, in the US and in Canada is that we don't um, record uh, the statistics of, for example, veteran suicide. So we don't, we don't have a, an official way of being able to monitor how many lives are really affected um, and lost after they've left. So we are often, uh, veterans here will feel like, and, and they will describe it as once you leave the army, the door is closed and you are completely gone. But I, I do think that soldiers all around the world actually feel that. I don't, yeah. you know, I think that's the same. It's just we can't monitor it as well as when I look up and do research um, in the US, I'm finding so much more information that helps me understand how big the problem is. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are many well, veteran programs here for when people yeah. get out, but the, the facilitation of those programs is not the way it should be. No. Why, I'm, I'm curious, why do they not track those statistics? Um, well, I got one answer it was about money, that nobody would invest the money in it. They really want to, um, but they would have to pay our National Health Service for the records, and that would cost more money than people are prepared to invest. But they're, which they'll is spend a, a billion dollars on a freaking bomb that they have already ADF. Yeah. That's, oh, it's so maddening. Yeah, yeah. It's so maddening. It's, what, the, what the problem is, is that there's not enough preparation for the emotional trauma you're going to face as a soldier. Because, you know, um, and I, I'll mention, actually, I get a lot of my information 
be from a wonderful man uh, named Lee who uh, runs Save Our Soldier, which is a UK-based charity that really approached PTSD totally differently. They have a sister charity in America. I think it's the Elk Institute, mm -hmm. um, as far as I believe. Um, and, you know, the, the, again, as, as he has explained it to me, you know, just being trained to go to, to war, that your brain has been altered, you know, That's just right. being trained, the, the images, the information. So it is definitely a cause for concern that, that uh, these, these young people are not being trained on the, the, those effects. You're also taught about, you know, man up, keep fighting, soldier on. And then you go out there, God knows what you're going to see, whatever department, whatever, you know, your role is in the army, you're part of a group of people that are very close together, saving each other's lives from the person that's cooking food to, to the medic to, to, you know, to your rifleman. And then you come back, you're completely thrown out without any kind of, like you said, debriefing, like any program. And then you're expected to go and get your own help. So hang on a second, man up, soldier on, keep going, keep fighting, but go and find your own help and tell everyone you're weak. It should be mandatory that if you're going to sign up to the army, you have a program that you must go through. And interestingly, actually, Lee from Save Our Soldier has a fantastic one, but again, it comes to money. It comes to what the, that they're prepared to spend. So it's awful. It's really awful. It is awful. And you bring up a good point, too, that when these young people, men and women, are put together and they form a very tight bond because, A, their life depends on it, and B, you know, it's, it's a, of course you would develop familial bonds with the people that are going through the same insane experience. And then what yeah. are the people that do take a life? You know, yeah. how do you... The soldier brain has a directive. The civilian brain understands what taking a life actually means, you know? And just because somebody yeah. is on the opposite side and they're the enemy, but we're the enemy too. Yeah. You know, it's like the concept of enemy is such a weird yeah. concept. And you have well, to be you taught. Well, stories <laughs> where they, you know, where opposing sides will make friends for a day or there's friendly fire being shot back and forth and it kind of becomes a routine, you know, between these, you know, these two, exactly as you're saying, enemies. And you do know what you're doing, but you're being told to do it for your country and it, and it is... And, and don't get me wrong, you know, actually one thing I've learned um, in my own research, you know, as a complete hippie myself, it's like, you know, make love, not war... We need a defense system. I, I mean, especially if you compare U.S. and U.K., we are very powerful countries because we have a very, very strong defense. So we can't, you know, any, yeah. you can say you like war, but, you know, we have to appreciate that we have the freedom to say that because uh, we have strong defenses in our country. Absolutely, without a doubt. I, I am, I am in, in awe, and I honor and thank the service that these people do. I certainly couldn't do it. But I, yeah. I, it upsets me to no end that we expect these men and women to go experience this and that we do not cradle them in the arms of thanks and, and protection and help and mental and physical well-being, financially, all those things when they return. Yeah. That, oh, that, that is just, to me, that is so maddening. That's my issue. I know. 
I have no and problem with people signing up. I mean, there are lots of reasons people go and join the service. And I understand that some do it to get out of poverty. Some do it to get out of prison. Some do it because there's a promise of education on the other side. Some people do it because they truly want to do it because they think that they owe it to their country. And I applaud all of those reasons. I get it. That's not, yes. the, that's not, that's not where I, I really have the faults is, is the aftercare. Yes. If you and went and had surgery, they wouldn't just send you out into the street afterwards and be like, all right, well, good luck with those sutures. And, you know, you know, you have yeah. to go find your medicine somewhere. I don't know where and try not to get an infection. They don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, no. And the physical rehabilitation is actually quite good. Um, and, and that's, that's the problem. It's, it's that, you know, well, first of all, we, we know from enough studies around the world that any kind of um, emotional stress and, and trauma actually affects us physically. So it's, it's in physical interest to, to yeah. look after people emotionally. And soldiers are going out there believing they're doing something very honorable. And many of them say, that, you know, when you discover a lot of the real reasons that they're fighting, it's, it's not the same. And, you know, they will never break their code. They're part of something strong. But it's like we, we all know that there's a, a, a economic value in, in war. We know that it's making some people very wealthy somewhere. So that's fine. Okay, you've got these people going out and, and, and really risking their lives for all of us to be very powerful and free. Look after them. That's it. Just yeah. simple as. Yeah. Just help as much as you can. Because I was reading recently a book by uh, Johan Hari called Lost Connections, a, an amazing book. Talk about depression and anxiety in detail. But one thing it does mention is that the lack of connection, human connection, is one of the you know, is a massive contributor to us feeling depressed and, and anxious. Uh, loneliness is is almost as toxic as um, you know smoking and drink, all of that. Uh, so imagine being part of, I mean, they often say a brotherhood, which is just a, you know, just shows how uh, there's a lack of females in the army. But, you know, you have this brotherhood, you have this connection, uh, and then you're just thrown away. So you've gone from depending on other people for your lives, sharing every terrifying moment, to being left on your own, disconnected, uncared for. That's right. What do you expect to happen? Yeah. You made a comment a second ago that was really interesting. You know, the aftercare, let's say you lose a limb. Mm. Right, you come back. The aftercare for losing body parts like that is is good. You know they'll they'll yeah. help you with that. But the brain is still a part of the body. Yeah, they seem yeah. to. There's the disconnect. The brain is a major part of the body. It is the the biggest. You know, it's the showrunner. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and you know, and also how a soldier is seen whilst they are serving is incredible. You know, I mean. I don't know if it's true. I always see in movies and TV in America that they always get up off their seats to let someone sit yeah. down if, you know, if they're first class or whatever. But, you know, we, we give them so much honor and we have all these, you know, Remembrance Day, stand tall for our soldiers, all of this. But what we're not remembering when we do that is that before they joined the army, they were a person. They joined the army. They served. They've gone through all of this. For the rest of their lives, they are, they're now going to be affected. And often when you're watching people... Go to these people, and I'll say people because soldier is just something that they have done and they have become. Um, when they go to prison, when they're on the streets, when they're drinking, when they're having, um, you know, PTSD moments where they're completely having meltdowns, and we're judging, you know, that is a soldier. If, if you're going to celebrate the honor of them fighting, you must help them when they're struggling among our community, among civilian life, because that's all we know. 
they know more than that. So, you know, returning to us, it's so hard for them and we're yeah. so unwelcoming. I know. It's, it's it. awful. So as you were working with Kevin, first of all, how did you approach him and say, hey, I'd like to do this documentary? <laughs> I mean, because, again, there's there's that soldier on feeling so for him to even say I have these issues this is going on is already extraordinary and then to let you in yes well uh we talked one of the biggest things we talked about actually was um his feelings of um not wanting to be here his PTSD how much he really struggled a lot we connected a lot through that uh, so we were very comfortable talking talking about things quite um, seriously anyway. And I, I think it was a case of me bringing him up or voice noting him and saying, Oi, I'm going to do a documentary on you. Um, your life's amazing. Let's talk about it a little bit and, in, and, and inspire some people. And he was always very humble, but he did secretly love the attention. So, you know, he was very much like, oh, oh, who's going who's gonna to want to watch that? I guess I have had a quite an adventurous life, but who's going to want to watch it, right? And then, you know, when we talked about it seriously and what he could do, um, and it was a connection still with being in the army, you know, he was he was all in. He loved it. Yeah. Did uh, did you see it start to deteriorate, his his well-being? So, what I, something I find really hard is that talking to someone so often about feeling suicidal, what's quite terrifying is it becomes quite normal. Um, it's only in hindsight that I could see little signs where maybe I should have gone, well, this could be a bit more serious. But the pattern was so normal for me for years, for, you know, not just for one or two years, for the whole time I'd known him, like almost a decade, that, you know, it, it was actually the fact that he was becoming almost better that actually should have shown me that something was more wrong, which is, you again, you can only reflect on in hindsight. It was... He was trying to build new careers. He was getting excited about more things. He was much more upbeat when I was speaking to him. And, and I thought, you know, I knew he still struggled. We still spoke a lot when he was down. But I thought, you know, this is great. Maybe he is starting to try and find his way. But I think often people say when, when so, just before someone takes their life that they become happier or they become calmer or, you know, they didn't seem as, as bad. Um, so, yeah, I think in hindsight there's a lot of things I wish I'd noticed. But... You just can't. You just can't know because also when you are um, when you are suicidal, often it's just a moment that you can go right. This is the moment, um, and then you can stop yourself from that moment. And you know, so it, I wish I, I wish I'd have done more. There's a lot more I wish I'd have done, but you can't. You can't. I mean, I could say that forever, right? Yeah, you know, and, and it's. I, just like there's not nothing that he could have done other than serve his country and do what he was supposed to do. And whatever feelings he had about that, he was doing his job, you know? And, yeah. And you can only do, we can only do so much. Human beings are on their path. And yeah. we can try and interject, but as you and I both have known people who have taken their own life, uh, nothing can stop a person if they're that determined. Yeah. And it can be the difference of two hours. Yeah, it's, I know. It's just, it's, I don't want to say it's crazy, it's a bad word. It's, it's just, it's heartbreaking, first of all. But yeah, yeah, you can leave somebody and be like, okay, things are good, they seem good, but you don't know what's going on in there, and it, ha and it doesn't have, and I'm, I'm saying this as like empathic to you saying, I know it hurts, I know it sucks, but 
you couldn't have stopped something that was happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if yeah, you need to carry that for you, is that's a lot for you to carry. Yeah, oh, and it is, and, and I think that's why I'm putting it massively into into this documentary, and and the documentary since has grown um, mostly from people I'm discovering and, and talking to, but it's it's grown into something that I think really could explore a solution rather than constantly talking about a problem. Yeah. Um, but also in in a way that I'm going to let everybody who watches it, hopefully across the whole world, uh, just get to fall in love a little bit with with who this absolute. Uh, crazy wind up was you know he he just loved to wind people up but he was also you know for a soldier for for a rifleman he you know would spend his last money sharing his lunch with a fox that was too skinny or bringing in animals or looking after old people and kids you know there was no one he wouldn't make time for and um i think his story is going to help educate a lot of people and that would definitely make him very happy that's wonderful and again you make a very excellent point uh i had coffee with my friend dub the other day and he was talking about how it frustrates him so much that every you know that we talk about all the things that are wrong but very seldom do we talk about all the ways to make it right the, yeah. the wrong, because we're so caught up in the emotion, as i just went on that whole monologue about what frustrates me about the military and I don't necessarily know what makes things right other than provide them with aftercare. So for you to say that, it's like this is about what to do to change things is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and um, I've spoken to quite a few charities and, and quite a few people who, you know, know what they're talking about. And, and again, you know, like I said, like we're really excited to be speaking with uh, Lee from Save Our Soldier because his approach is... Uh, you know, just to summarize, you know, he doesn't call PTSD uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. He calls it post-traumatic stress injury. Um, he looks at the way that the brain is affected and, and so many other factors. And, he's, you know, he, he's saved, I think, it's around 41 lives so far with his approach. Um, but the best thing he said to me, to ex just to explain to anyone, like you or I, any civilian, just how traumatic PTSD can be, the fact that it's called a disorder to a soldier who is taught to keep their whole life in order, to then even diagnose them with something that goes against everything they've been conditioned to do is already disorientating. So forget the medical stuff behind it, just the, the very definition of it. Um, and that's, that's what we do. I think our health services try their best to connect they try their best to help uh, veterans but they don't know they unless they've been out there unless they really have studied this properly and and, and been there and can completely understand that that soldier isn't going to open up to them as much as they could do is there it's a just, movement to change it to ptsi then instead of uh, so i don't know if there's necessarily movement perhaps there could be perhaps this this documentary will will help influence that and that that would also help save our soldier do do a lot more work because hopefully they'd get a lot more funding. Um, but I think I think there should be a movement to change um, it being mandatory to in uh, to to get soldiers back into a civilian life effectively um, and around a support system of civilians that can also start learning how to understand what it's like so that so that veterans don't feel like they're just in this one club. Yeah. And that they can only really share and talk about that with other veterans. Maybe civilians, if they start understanding more, will accept what they've been through a lot better. Yeah, excellent. Um, so the short film already released? 
Or did you journey. hold on to it for to do the long film? Oh, oh you mean the short documentary? Ah, oh. oh, so well, that was just a uni project. So actually, that's um, that's online, <coughs> and that's on my YouTube and Vimeo and. The BBC used that recently um, to, to play a little bit of it. They did um, an article. There's been a few, actually, articles and, and news pieces on Kevin. So that's, that's you know, just out in the world. But there's a lot of footage that I do have of him um, and a lot of audio interview I have of him talking in depth about how he felt. So, um, you know, he, he will be, you know, uh, helping to make this documentary in his own way still. Like, he's left behind a lot of information. Has it been difficult to find other veterans to talk to about this? Actually, uh, no, thankfully. I, some of his friends that I, I've got in contact with, um, one particularly, his name's uh, Nicholas Aiken-Smith, uh, I met him at, at Kevin's funeral and spoke to him a bit about this, and he's been really helpful in, in putting me in contact with some others. Um, and once they know that you kind of understand a little bit and you want to help and that you are, you know, like that I, I knew Kevin and, and was close and we were working on this, they're a lot more forthcoming because they're all very, very affected themselves by their own experience. And, uh, I mean, 12 weeks after Kev took his life, his friend and comrade took his life. Um, then I keep seeing from Kev's friends that I, I know online uh, posts pop up another one oh, we won't forget you brother another one we won't forget you brother and it's more and more and so I think because something somebody is trying to speak out on behalf um, of, of the, the you know their family that they're losing their, their military family they're losing they, they really want to help get involved yeah here the statistics are right around 22 lives a day uh, oh, so that's what's going around on Facebook, actually. So it's an American, that's the American statistic. Twi I mean, that is insane. Hours I know. A day. And, and, and the thing is, my, my question here is, is this. So if we had regular civilians being killed every day, um, for example, you know, whoever was responsible for that would really be in a lot of trouble. But actually, um, the, the, the Ministry of Defence... Um, you know, or, or, or any country's, um, you know, a Department of Defense, you are responsible for this because you are training these, these, and a lot of them kids, you know, Kev joined the army when he was 16 and um, went to war at the day after he turned 18. You are responsible for doing as much as you can. Now, if they had a program, if everywhere had a program and you left the army, it was like, you must go through this four-month program we're going to do everything we can to help you, and you're going to get further support whenever you need it to come back to. And then 22 lives a day were still going. We'd be like, well, who's responsible? Because you are doing amazing work to try and help people. But you're not doing amazing work. And, and that's the saddest thing. If you speak to a veteran, they will never put down their comrades. They will only talk highly of serving their country and their time in the army. When you ask them how the, the military looks after you, their tone changes. Their tone completely changes because there's that bittersweet, you made me, but you broke me. That's, that's... Yeah. Well, that's and awful. many of the, the people that I've spoken with, and also as you spoke to before, realized what it's all really about. Um, they're not pleased. No. And a lot of them feel as if they were, you know, duped. Yeah. But you're in then. Yeah, Marina, that's your new way of life. Like you, 
the everything about you know being a soldier you're in it that's who you are that's your life now so by the time you realize that you might disagree with part of what you're fighting for or hate it but you also know nothing else now so and you want to protect your brothers and sisters and you know the casualties of war within a government you know that can blithely send people along yeah come what may I think that was one of um, the things Kevin struggled with um, mostly, you know, in reflection to the army, is that he really wanted to go back to being a soldier desperately. Um, he trained as a mercenary. He um, he went to go um, and join the French Foreign Legion. He, he wanted to, to be part of it, but he also didn't fully agree with what he was doing. So I think that was the hardest part for him. He didn't want to... He didn't want to. He didn't want to do what he had to do to be who he was. So I just think he felt there was no place for him. And it's it's time now that we say, look, we we're not saying that that we don't, you know, that oh, there's a place for you here. Come back. We know that you will struggle to find your place here, but we will fight with you for that, just like you fought for us. Right. So it's got to be. It's got to be something that we don't say you know no we'll, we'll fix it we're not it's not about fixing it's you're a new type of person now let's find a way for you to integrate back with us and connect they fought our so, war now we need to fight their war it's and it's they're i'm fighting gonna use that in the document that's beautiful it's so true i mean i commend you for getting this out um is there a main, obviously you went into this with a lot of research and you had Kevin as a sounding board and a touchstone. Um, yeah. Is there any aha moments that you had along the way that you were just either in a, in a not necessarily negative, but in a positive way, just anything that really stood out as life changing um, for you or? I think massively um, the, the documentary, because I'm, I'm not a military expert and I'm not going to pretend to be. And I actually think I need to approach this film as, as just a, as a civilian that doesn't know that much, because then I can learn as the audience will learn along the way in the story. So, you know, I want people to connect. But through investigating about uh, PTSD, it actually, I've, you know, I've, I've branched out to learn more about, you know, just what makes us feel isolated and alone and, and learning this disconnection from society, I think, is, first of all, a massive problem just in the Western world anyway. Let's just go with the Western world. Um, but in terms of soldiers and understanding this this lack of connection and how humongous the gap is, I think it's a real breakthrough moment to understand how we can fix it. Because really, connection is a big, big part of it. Um, and also understanding how... Again, like I mentioned with Lee, talking about your brain being retrained for new survival, to understand for all of us as humans um, the things that we go through, retrain our brain for new dangers. So, you know, we can look at each other's behaviors and start to understand where they must be coming from so much more and where we come from ourselves and how there's no set way of being normal. There's no set way of being. We're sculpted by everything and, and connection and compassion has to to come into our lives more i think that's it might not sound so aha but that for me has been the biggest lesson so far in my my research yeah it's beautiful um when will this be released and launched well 
that is the million dollar question right now. So um, <laughs> we're actually, you know, we are um, at the very beginnings of production. Um, we're still, you know, developing a lot of the ideas, and we're in talks right now with um, with some some good people about uh, getting on board and helping us produce this. But I, I think I could uh, be well, depending on what they say, that's going to change everything. But you know, I'm going to start um, doing some of our filming very soon. I mean, I, I, I could actually film this and have this ready very quickly yeah. if, I, if I get all the goes ahead. But it's all the admin stuff, the, t- the business side of it that leaves the question marks open. No, so, I, sorry, I, that's a very roundabout way of saying no. I don't know. <laughs> well, I understand. How might people track this? And, and not only that, but support it um, if somebody wants to help donate to the cause or be a, be a part of it. So... Massively at the moment, um, Jody um, at Penworks Media, he's he's putting, I mean, he's put a little two-pager up on his website, so penworksmedia.co.uk, um, and at the moment, that's that's where it's staying. But there, you can keep a track of me on Twitter and Instagram. It's just Rachel Caden. Once I can start releasing things, I will. Um, and then eventually, you know, I'm sure we'll have um, all the Facebook pages and, the, and the, the websites. And once it becomes a fixed title, um, we can do that. But just keep keep an eye on what's going on. And, and also, I really encourage anyone that wants to add anything or talk um, or has a story of their own to get in touch with me. So maybe I'll leave you my uh, email address. Or you've got my email address. And I do. I do. And, and I'll put it on the links page of heyhumanpodcast.com. And uh, I'll put your email up there with a space so that the little robot spiders can't just automatically. <laughs> <laughs> or if you prefer, they can email me and I can then personally. Whichever. Whichever is best, honestly. it's it's Because right now we're still such early stages, it's hard. There's not just one direct way because the project organically has just grown. So we are managing where it's going and we're, we're kind of going with the project. Yes. To make sure we tell the best best um, story for, for Kev. Are you going to try throughout to use the PTSI just to start getting it in the vernacular? I, I think I might have to, actually, because I, I really do. I really like it. I really agree with it. So I, I think, and, and because, like I said, you know, we're hoping, I mean, uh, Lee is very, very involved with um, speaking with us now and, and very um, excited to be part of the documentary, so I think we'll have to take on his approach mm-hmm. and uh, respect that because you know if it, if it's working or helping, it's it's worth it, right? Well, I mean, I, I think you nailed it when you said the stigma behind the word disorder is everything. Yeah, yeah. it's funny that's, that's, how words me, are so very powerful. Yeah, you know, I know. Yeah, I know. So. Oh. Well, Rachel, you're delightful, and I'm so excited that you're working on this project even though it comes from such a, a sad place but I Thank you. in all honesty I feel like Kevin is probably extraordinarily proud of you and this work Thank you. it's really lovely sorry it makes me a little emotional <laughs> I thought I'm holding mine back here as well because it's it's tough you know like having to talk about this as, as from a filmmaker and business point of view that you often forget you're human as well and that you, you know, like I, I've lost uh, someone who was my little brother. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. Yes, because of you, he, he will be immortal. You know, oh, they say that you, you die two times, uh, your first physical death, and then, then the next is the last time somebody speaks your name. Oh, yes, so. yes, well... He'll be very happy to know that his name will be spoken forever. <laughs> yeah, you've made him immortal, and that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful gift. You know? Thank you. Yeah. Very kind. Thank you, Rachel. 
<laughs> Thank you. Bye, everybody. Okay.